Hey everyone, welcome to the Breakthrough Breakdown. In this podcast, we'll be breaking down the sermon from the previous week, diving into theological discussions, and even having some fun. Make sure to join us every Wednesday on Spotify, Apple Music, and download our Zion Lutheran Church app for more updates. And with that, we hope you enjoy the Breakthrough Breakdown. Well, hey, welcome everybody. This is Pastor Jason. I'm going to go around and have everybody introduce themselves for today's episode. This is episode two. No, 102. We're not two seasons in. We're one season in. 102. Again, my name is Jason, interim lead pastor. And let's go to my right and we'll make our way around. I am Kate Hopple and I do kids ministry here at Zion. I am Derek Crawford and I'm the executive pastor here at Zion. I'm Megan Dennis, and I'm the executive director. We have two executives. We're so it's like too much upper management in this room. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so fun. <laughs> so we actually just started, and we're a week two of the God Is series, where we're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer as a way of really exploring the heart of God and God's desire for us to know Him. And this week, we actually kind of began talking about the danger of prayer. And last week, we talked about how not to pray. And now Jesus begins with how to pray. And if you're familiar with the text, it's found in Matthew chapter 6. And they basically, in, in Luke, actually, it starts off Luke chapter chapter 11, the disciples ask Jesus, how should we pray? And so Jesus goes on and he says, when you pray, this is how you should pray. And he begins to walk through what we call the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father. One of the things we talked about this last week is that there's a subtle danger in prayer becoming ritual. And specifically, even before we get just to the idea of the Our Father or the Lord's Prayer, is that sometimes we'll say it and not really give it any thought, right? And one of the things that we talked about is this idea is that rituals are not always bad. A ritual can lead to a better relationship. Uh, the idea is rituals lead to routines, routines to habits, habits to transformation. But the problem becomes when it comes to prayer, sometimes we just say it without actually thinking about it or really even meaning it. Have you ever like driven home and been like, how did I get here? Was I awake for all of this? (laughs) That's what I think of when it's like a ritual where it's like, you don't even think about it. You're on autopilot. Yeah. Yeah. Did I even pray today? Yeah, I think so. I did the Lord's prayer when I woke up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and, and I think through like here at Zion, we have two services. We have a traditional service and then we have the dock, which is our contemporary. And in the traditional service, we actually have what's called the liturgical service. We have the Lord's Prayer often included in that. But at the dock, we don't do it very often. What do you tell me, you guys, what do you think about when that, now, first of all, how about not having the Lord's Prayer regularly in the dock? How, what do you guys think about that? Has that been a challenge for you? Do you have opinions about that? What do you think? I always think of the movie, I think it's War Room, when they're teaching her how to pray, or they're like, well, I know the Lord's Prayer. And she's like, oh, I think the Lord's heard that one a few too many times, or I think he's heard that enough. Um, the the idea was to get outside of that and to pray more from the heart, not yeah. letting it become a ritual. And for me, growing up in the church, at times it definitely becomes a ritual. And so it's good to switch it up. But it is also good to refer back to of not necessarily checking the boxes on prayer, but reteaching me how to pray. Yeah. I will say it's kind of interesting when people join in and it's a part of a universal prayer that the whole church does together. There's something cool in that as well, where it's like, it's not just me praying. It's, it's a whole community. It's almost like worship. And so that's, that's one element of that. I do like about the, when everyone says it together. Yeah. I think, I think one of the things that was tough for me is I got saved 
the church I went to started off traditional. And as I was coming to faith, they moved to a blended contemporary. Like this was 1989 and we had a worship band. It was cutting edge. It was so cutting edge. We had drums. We had electric guitar. We also had an organ <laughs> and timpanis. That's cool now. Yeah. <laughs> that, right? <laughs> and I didn't, I, I wasn't raised in church. And so the idea of the Lord's Prayer was really difficult for me. But also I've just never, I struggled with connecting with the traditional, but kind of like what Derek was saying, there is a beauty in knowing that we're saying something and that people all over the world are praying sometimes this prayer together. There's a connection that takes place. I totally agree with that. I didn't grow up in the church and I found faith five years ago. So when I go to the traditional service, it's not rote memorization for me. I hear the words that are being said all together as one Sometimes I like sweat or I don't know what's being said. <laughs> I'm peas and carrots or you move your lips to make it look like you're actually saying it too. But on the other side, like it is so beautiful doing these kind of breakdowns. And Pastor Jason, I've set, I've done one of your classes where in the teachings that you do where it's like this is the heart of it. There's a beauty in that reverence, the, the, the heart of the ritual. Why did we start doing this? That is so cool to see from an outsider. And to know that it's happened for thousands of years. 2,000 years the church has been praying. That's incredible. Yeah, like how many things do we have in our lives that are over 100 years old? Right. We Americans can't really (laughs) fathom a century or like, you know, a thousand, a millennia. We just, we haven't been around long enough. It's one of the things I love about the Catholic church is that they read the same scriptures. They, as any Catholic church anywhere in the world is reading the same thing and they're learning about the same thing. That's kind of cool that a body of Christians, I don't know, there's, there's power in that. It's unifying. Yes. And that's, I think that's the intention behind between our behind the Catholic church deciding on everybody preaching the same text, everybody having the same prayers. Um, Funny story. So when I was a teaching pastor at community of hope, the churches that I went to, most of them weren't traditional and we didn't do the Lord's prayer at all. So it was one of our first Wednesday night class or, or uh, services. And we had a Wednesday night service and we had a Sunday morning service. And we'd get 150 of our people coming on Wednesday night to go deeper. So we go to do the Lord's Prayer. I didn't have it memorized. So I get up to go do it. And I'm like, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed. The kingdom come, thy will be done. <laughs> and I think it was when I came to the trespasses, I forgot to do the forgive us our trespass part. And that's when I realized is like for people that aren't part of the church, that actually sometimes can feel awkward is you're hearing all these people saying the same thing. You're like, I I feel like I'm missing something. Yeah. Like if things aren't on the screen at the traditional service, when I go to like help at that service or be a part of it and things aren't on the screen, but like everybody's just doing it. What? How do you guys know this? <laughs> Where is this? What page in the hymnal is this? Well, and this is, this is actually part of the reason why at Zion or even weddings, whenever we do the Lord's Prayer, I put it on the screen. Yeah. Because here I am, I'm a pastor and people are like, you should know that. I'm like, I didn't, I didn't pastor in churches that did the Lord's Prayer or the Apostles' Creed. Like that's a lot of more contemporary, especially non-denominational churches don't, they actually stay away from those things because they avoid the ritual. So that phrase, the rituals lead to routines, lead to habits, can lead to transformation. I mean, there are good rituals and there are bad rituals, right? And I mean, I'll think about drug addiction. A drug addiction starts with a ritual that becomes a routine, then becomes a habit. And there's transformation that takes place. It's not good. And Kate, during our read-through, you actually made a comment. And you said, and when it's not a healthy transformation, it leads to a rut. Mm-hmm. And yeah. one of the things we talked about, like in, in my marriage, my wife and I try and do uh, a date night. 
we try to do at least once a month. But if I'm not there to actually be with her, if I'm just trying to check off the box that I did this ritual, we're kind of missing the point. What are some other, what are some of those other kind of rituals that sometimes we fall into and it's so easy to lose the heart behind them? I mean, we have marriage, our date nights. Mm -hmm. Are there other things that you guys can think of? Apparently not. Yes. I just don't want to be the only one speaking. I'm like eyeballing uh, Derek and Megan over here. Like, I know you guys have rituals. I would definitely think like the ritual of spending time with family or even kids, right? Like you get so stuck in carting your kids around to sports or to their um, piano stuff or their all these different kind of things that they have their schedules where these kids schedules kind of rule your life as a parent when they start to get to that like school age. And then when COVID hit, Everyone's like, how do we spend time with our kids? Like, who are these people? Do you get, I've never had a conversation with my child before. What do I do? <laughs> like, you know, or it starts to become like a routine, a rut where it, it's not intentional. It's not, we were saying that earlier too in the sermon read through. It's like quality time is different than just time spent. Yeah. So. You know, go ahead, Derek. No, the only one that came to mind for me was uh, like your morning ritual. And I'm like, I don't know if I need to share that with everyone. But it's one of those things like my, my dentist always said, I have, I have really nice teeth. And it's like it just became a, a ritual for me to do that. And so uh, I guess that would be a positive transformation. I suppose that, that's a good rut to yeah. be in. I don't, yeah. think about, I don't think about every time I brush my teeth like, oh, they're getting clean. Like you don't think about the <laughs> meaning behind it. It's just you do it. And so I could see where that would be a, that'd be a more positive rut, I guess. Yeah. When I, and I think about even in church, you know, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit, but so many of the things that we're taught supposed to do as rituals, uh, spending time with the Lord, Bible study, devotions, all those things. And I know in my time, some of the, sometimes the ritual carries me when things feel stale. Yeah. But the other side is sometimes they keep on feeling stale because I've only been focusing on the ritual and forgetting the other part. And it feels like there's a balance there. I think it was like a Bob Goff book that I read it was probably, Did you read it in your devotional time that you set aside? Probably. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Stop. It was the everybody always. I love Bob Goff. And if, if he's listening, I love you. Um, okay, if anybody knows Bob Goff, please send him this. <laughs> please, 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 please. Um, but it, it was he was talking about um, somebody got in put in prison overseas in a foreign land, wrongly accused for something. And they're in jail and they didn't have access to a Bible. So it's like, how do you, what do you lean on in those moments? Well, the only one I've got memorized is like the Lord's Prayer, yeah. the Psalm 23, those like things that we can start to feel like are so cliche. So like overdone, like, oh, you're still there in your faith. And it's like, that's the, that's the thing you lean on when you don't have anything else. One, if you consider the fact that, that most Christians didn't know how to read. In fact, books weren't even available until the 1400s. So a majority of Christians could only lean on things that they memorized. Yeah. And that was part of the reason why you had rituals so that people could. Being at the traditional service, we do the liturgy, and I now can actually sing some of the liturgy and remember it. And that was for me. I, I, we had a, uh, one of our screens went down or something, like something wasn't up, and all of a sudden I'm like, I know the next line because Good we've you. done it so often. But it's being present in it. Well, let, let's get into um, the actual meat of the Lord's Prayer. And each week we're going to be going through a different part of the Lord's Prayer and about how it reveals God's heart. And Jesus starts off this prayer really by saying this word, our Father. And that word, our, is so interesting because 
first of all, it, the pronoun matters. It's easy to think that, oh, it's just a thing, but he doesn't say my father, even though Jesus did call father. He called him his father. But when he tells us to pray, he says our. Why do you think he doesn't tell us to say my father or your father? Why is it our father? What's the importance of community and how does that affect us in our kind of Western culture? I mean, we're very individualistic in our culture. It's going back to that unity. It brings us together for a common purpose. Yeah. I think uh, I think part of what happens, and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this, Derek. You know, Derek just graduated seminary. Congratulations. Yay. Yeah, which is pretty awesome. Uh, three and a half years, three years? Three years. Three years. Yep. Um, a Felt lot. like 10. <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, when we look at it, our culture isn't very individualistic. I mean, everything is about my personal and even thinking about the language in the church, right? For me, when I first became a Christian, it was I got saved. It was my personal walk with the Lord. It was my prayer life. It was my devotional time, my Bible reading. And sometimes what that creates is this idea that faith is supposed to be practiced alone. Now, you just came out of seminary where you actually intentionally had to have a community around you what was the value of being a part of a community when processing and growing and learning together for you? Yeah, so I think community is extremely important. And especially when you're reading through the New Testament, it's one of, I only, I think there's three themes that are in every single book of the New Testament. And I think unity is one of them. Like coming together as the, as the church, as the body of Christ, I think that is very evident throughout Scripture, especially in the New Testament. And so uh, I do, I, I put a big value on that. But I think the I think the balance comes because we have a God that wants to be with us. And so when it says the Holy Spirit's inside of you, like it does feel personal. There's no way for that not to feel personal because yeah. you do. You have a personal relationship with God. But then there's so many other texts. Like I just worked through uh, uh, Corinthians 13, the love passage, where it's not no, not so much about a romantic love, but it is about a love that has to be shared with everyone around you. And so there's this sense of inviting people in. There's this sense of... Uh, coming together. And so, uh, yeah, I would say that's a, that's a very crucial part of this. When even when you read the Bible, Paul is writing to churches. I mean, he's writing to Timothy, he writes to Philemon, he writes to Titus, but even then they were people who were reading them. And so often we're reading the Bible as if, well, I mean, the language we often use is this is God's love letter to me. No, this isn't God's love letter to you. It's a book about God revealing his heart for his people, for the world, how we get saved, what is intention, I mean, all those things play into that. And we absolutely, I, I'm not saved because of somebody else's faith. It has to be mine. But what happens, I think, is that sometimes we forget that so much of the ancient world was all about community. Like you didn't read the Bible alone. Uh, good Jews, when they would have discussions, they would read the Bible out loud together and then they would discuss because the idea is iron sharpens iron. We make each other better. And even in our sermon read-throughs, I mean, for those of you, if you're listening to the first time, uh, every message that we do, we put through a sermon read-through, usually for sure once, sometimes twice, and it's to get different perspectives. And I'll tell you, for me, as someone who preaches and teaches regularly, it made it makes my teaching not just better, but it makes my theology, it makes me think through what I believe, what I'm saying. When we talk about that danger why do you think it's so important or, or what's, why, why do you think God cares that we're reading in text with other people, not just reading by ourselves? I think it's so easy for our bias to skew scripture. Yeah. And we were talking about that earlier today when we did that sermon read through of like, 
when you're reading, I can make God say whatever I want. I can say that this is what, I think we said that last week too. We're like, this is what this script, this scripture means. This is what it means to me. This is what it means to me. <laughs> this is how I interpreted it. And my, my biases, my perspective as a young white female in the Midwest is going to be really different than someone else. Yeah. Like, so you need that community. And that I appreciate that about the sermon read throughs too, where it's like, You've said that before where you get women's perspective. You don't you don't have a woman's perspective yeah. or like a, a another young man or somebody that grew up in the church or didn't. All these different perspectives in one area under one God. Like he's all encompassing. We're all created in the image. That's the awesome part. Yeah. 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 So oh. good. No, I think of um the verse says, iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. We were created and made to edify and build up each other, make each other better, make each other sharper. Um, and so this just points back to that. If you're isolated, you can only grow as much as you know. Yeah. When you're around other people, you can grow and take little pieces from them and make yourself so much better from learning. And I think it's just a different way of saying what these two are saying, but mm -hmm. it's kind of more on the flip side of it is that you limit yourself. If it's just going through my mind, my experiences, my personality, it's limited. If you experience uh, God through the eyes of other people, it shows and reveals a much bigger God than you could ever imagine. That's why mission trips are so were so impactful to me. Yeah. I didn't realize how big God was. Like, I, I didn't realize he was bigger than Clear Lake, Iowa. I didn't realize that he was at work on a global scale. And so... I, I mean, I knew that, but it's different when you experience it yeah. and you see it. And yeah. so when you read scripture in a community, what what might, what might I might have pulled from that can be brought out in a fuller way by the people around me. Yeah. Well, yeah. and I'm going to dork out a little bit here, but it's interesting because <laughs> our culture knows this because the best movies are the ones with teams. Yeah. Right? I mean, who is Luke Skywalker without Han Solo and Chewbacca and C-3PO and R2-D2 and Princess Leia? The Avengers. I mean, and, and I, I bring that up because I think there's something even in our culture. They realize that we long to have community. And the church is one of the few places in the world where community happens on a weekly basis. But how quickly we forget that. Because, again, it's so often is, well, it's my personal prayer life. It's my personal this. And then when people are like, well, I don't really need church. We've kind of fueled that. Yeah. We fueled that in them to thinking that they don't need church because we focus so much energy on their alone time with God. This the private side of it. That we forget that, no, God created us in community. Um, as you were talking, Derek, I was thinking through Genesis. And God says to Adam, it's not good that man be alone. And we often think that text is just about marriage or a wedding. But it's we have that God-shaped hole, but we also have people-shaped holes. Yeah, We're created for a community. Yep. Yeah. I always love that, uh, that character aspect of God, that we're created in God's image for a relationship with him, but also with each other. He... That's so cool. Yeah. That's what we're created for. And there's there's this other side, and sometimes this happens within our churches. Um, you know, it's Lutherans and Baptists and Catholic and non-denominational, and so so often we try to separate. But if we confess Jesus Christ as Lord, we're all part of this family. I mean, this Sunday we have uh, uh, Bethany and Nelton Noriega, who are the pastors at Genesis Nuevo in Peru. Did I say that right? Yeah, it's just Genesis. It's just Genesis. Genesis Church. I thought it was Genesis Nuevo. Was it that at one point? Uh, Nuevo just means new. So they say Nuevo <laughs> Comenzar, a new beginning. It's like their, <laughs> their tagline. So it's just Genesis Church. Power for their that. tagline. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, so Genesis, Genesis Church. Yes. So they're actually going to, they were in town this past Sunday. We record this before the sermon. <laughs> so we're talking in the future, which is really weird. Um, Timey wimey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I love the fact that like we're supporting, we're, they're part of the hour. We're in this together. Yes. Um, we have churches in our area, whether or not they're traditional, contemporary, that we are Lutheran or Baptist. If we confess Jesus, that's our hour. It's so much bigger than us. And that's, I think sometimes we forget that. Um, when we think about the individual side, I mean, it's important that we take care of ourselves. What's the benefit of doing that personal time? How does that actually benefit when you actually do come together in community? Oh, that's it. Like, I can't help but think when we were talking earlier, that personal stuff, don't get us wrong. You need that. That is so important. Yeah. I have to get right with myself. When I first came to faith, I was so hungry for community and to belong and to make friends because, you know, when when you completely give your life over to Jesus, I completely changed my entire life. And I didn't have the same friends, didn't have the same lifestyle. So I was really hungry for community, but I was seeking community, not the person, not the, not the God, you know, it was like when you seek the gifts, not the giver. And I had to get right with myself first. I, you know, when you think of people that want to be in a relationship so bad, my life would just be better if I had a husband, my life would be better if I had a wife. It's like, but you are okay who you are as well. Like you have to be okay individually. I have to be okay with my personal prayer life and my personal relationship with Jesus and understanding who I am as a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit before I can go out and bleed all over everybody. Like, right? <laughs> like I need to make sure my holes are patched up before I go out and try to like give Jesus out to others. Mm-hmm. I need to accept Jesus myself before I can give him away. Well, and in this, and I think that that kind of begs the question of, we're in church for community. And sometimes we think that in order to be a part of a church, you have to believe. Mm. Like you, you started belonging to the church oh, before yeah. belief happened. Absolutely. And you think you do. You're like, I don't, I, I've got this. I, I, I know what's going on. You don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> well, then Jesus takes it that next step because it starts off with the hour, which is this community part. But then he puts that word father, which makes it family. And I, our culture wants us to believe that everyone is a child of God. And we believe that all people are made in the image of God, but the Bible's very clear that only those who confess faith in Jesus become part of that family. They're adopted as sons and daughters of the king. And I think sometimes that's hard for people to grasp because we want people to be a part of church, but until they confess, they belong, they're part of it, but they're not part of the family yet. They're more like the visitor who's hanging out at our house. It's the opportunity. You know, we think of like in kids' ministry, we totally say that. Like, oh, we're all children of God. God loves all of his children. God loves everyone. And it's like you were created by God, but to be family, you have that opportunity. Yeah. You know, and so when you when you, when you you simplify it so that you can understand it, that kind of gets lost yeah. of like, well, actually there is there's a process to becoming that though. Well, there's an adoption process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, e- even when you look at um, foster care and adopting in the church, I think of people that are visiting in our church kind of like foster kids. Oh, cool. They're loved. We want them here, but we really want to see them as adopted into the family, and that comes through faith. And that's when Jesus uses that word. He says, our father, he takes it from now we're a community, but to now we're a family. And on Sunday, we talked about this idea is that some people think that because they're familiar with God, that's what it means to be a Christian. But 
Christianity to be a disciple is somebody who's family with God because of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, when you think about kind of this idea of Jesus being a relational God, a father, how does that sit with you? I mean, I think we all have different experiences with family. Mm-hmm. I grew up without a dad. And so for me, when I became a Christian, I started calling God dad. Um, and it was there was a healing that took place. But I know some individuals who came from really hard backgrounds and father had its own sacred, had its own wounds. Others of you came from amazing families. Share how seeing God as a father, how has that changed or how does that make you think differently about the Lord's Prayer? Yeah, I had a very loving father, and so it was easy for He's me. He's still a very loving father. He still is. Everybody loves <laughs> Brad Watson. Yes. Everybody this one goes loves out him. to Brad Watson. Yeah, <laughs> People are like, who's Brad Watson? You should get to know him. He's pretty awesome. So it wasn't hard for me at all to picture God as a great father figure. Um, and realizing that, no, not everyone had that, but I think that's what makes God unique as well. Um, even if you don't have that in any family relationship, you do have someone that is perfect and will love you perfectly um, in in Jesus, in God the Father. Yeah. Yeah, so I have uh, I have a stepdad, I have a dad, I have grandparents like or grandpas. Like I've had very good male role models in a bunch of them. Uh, but what I... And so, yeah, they definitely influenced the way I look at this. But it actually, I love that this starts with our father. I love that that's the first thing that we are taught because one of the things I've noticed, especially in like youth ministry, is that kids like to treat God, and so do adults, and not just kids, kids, but we like to treat God as a vending machine where we just like, here's what I want, here's what I want, here's what I want. And here's the thing, you're talking to God, and you're if you're truly treating him like a vending machine, like an inanimate object, like are you truly realizing who you're speaking to? Do you realize that you're speaking to the creator? And so when I when it starts with that, our father, like, man, that just, to me, that recenters me. It's like, man, who am I talking to? Like, this is a big deal. It's more than just a... Uh, and I, I understand that that's taken it a little off course a little bit, but... That's okay. I really like that. To me, I, like Jesus put me right on track immediately, right out the go with the first two words. It's like, our father, yeah. Like, I have a lot of respect and reverence for that. And I know that's not everyone's view of Father, but to me, that, that does. That, that definitely points me in a way of like, wow, this is going to be big. This is important. I love too when you're spending that um, alone time with God or your quiet time, whatever you want to call it, you, you pull away for a personal or a one-on-one connection with God, a private connection. Um, but when you can start it with our, you're putting already in your mind the thoughts of other people yeah. in your personal time, which I I think it's in Mark where Jesus goes away by himself early in the morning to pray. I have to have that or I am wicked the rest of the day. Like, <laughs> I can tell when I have not had my time with Jesus to get my heart right to be around other people even. like yeah. The point is that I am refocusing so that I can be united with other believers and followers the way that that Jesus is looking for. It's interesting that when you look at that text, we have only a few verses that tell us Jesus got away with lo- into the lonely places to be with the Father. Most of his time was actually spent with people. Yep. And, and this is, I think, part of our Americanism, our I, kind of the isolation theology that we have, is that we forget that Jesus hung out, did life with, walked, talked, ate with, laughed with, played with, all these things with his disciples, like it was a three and a half year intensive course mm-hmm. of doing life together. And then when he got burned out or was tired, he's like, I'm going to go spend some time with the father. 
But in our culture, we have kind of the opposite. Like, I need that alone time so I can be with people. Jesus was with people, and then when he got burned out, then he'd go. He was extroverted. He was, he was. Yeah, all those introverts are like, no way. Okay, so for those of you who don't know, the difference between extroversion and introversion, because some people think it has to do with liking people. No. Introverts and extroverts both like people, some. I mean, some extroverts don't like people, but it has more to do with where you get recharged. But I, this is the thing that was for me. I remember studying and learning that in Jewish culture and in, in most communal, communal-based cultures, so China, Japan, um, the Middle East, Community is everything. Yeah. You survive based upon community. In Western culture, we think we survive by our independence. Yeah, pull yourself up by your mm-hmm. bootstraps. It's your, and that's what we said last time, and it's like, do-do your way out of do-do. It's very workspace. Yeah. You can but do it. You can do it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, like Rosie the Riveter, yeah. we can do it. Yeah. We can do it by my own hard work. Yeah. And I think that our father brings us back to the fact that I can't do this alone. I can't have faith alone. I mean, I've had times in my life where I've wrestled through my faith and it was other Christians. When I tried to wrestle alone, I always lost. Mm. And when I, but when I had people with me in those times when I struggled with doubt or when life was hard or things weren't going the way I needed them to, or there was sickness or pain or whatever, I think that our father brings us back to remind us that we need each other. Yeah. And even in my devotional time, like the purpose, the reason why I do my devotional time um, on my own is so that when I come together, we have something to talk about and to share. But I, there is a beauty to sitting down and reading a text together. Yeah. Um, there's actually a practice. There's I don't remember the name of the church, um, but they actually, instead of doing Bible study, they just read the Bible mm-hmm. together out loud. They read it together and just let the Lord speak and people share and that would be so foreign. Like if I just got up on a Sunday morning and said, now let us turn to John chapter one and just started reading John without any any teaching or exposition. People are like, I can just do that on my own. But there is something that takes place there. And I think that's what kids yeah. do, dude. That's our soap. We read it together yeah. and then we talk about it. Okay, and what... please say what soap is. Because so everybody soap, listening is like, oh, that's you clean with We that? eat <laughs> soap with kids in kids' ministry. No, it is scripture, observation, application, and prayer. And it's a way that we can, in the most base form, break down a scripture or a section of scripture. And that's the S and we observe it. What is God saying? How do we apply it is the application. And then we pray over it and pray with it. Um, you know, where we have that, that sort of the spirit with our prayer, where we, we use scripture in prayer. And we also pray with that in mind. It, it's just a way that we can read and enjoy and understand the Bible from a very base understanding. And it's interesting. We'll we'll do that for kids, but we feel like as adults we can't do that. Yeah, we're too we're too too well known, well versed for that. <laughs> we know a lot. Yeah, we know so much. Yeah, until I went to seminary, I didn't realize how much I don't know. So <laughs> anyone that says they're like, "Oh, I'm really good at reading the Bible," are you? Because <laughs> I don't think you realize that it's speaking on five different contexts at the same time. Yeah. Like, who was the who was the letter? Like, let's say Paul was writing a letter. Who was the letter written to? What were they trying to accomplish? Yeah. What did the what did the writer of the book itself, what was he talking about? What does it mean for us today? And what did God mean throughout the whole thing? Like it's just like yeah. five layers of uh what that one piece of scripture could mean. So that's so one of the things you could look at the Lord's Prayer and reciting it is it takes it back to simplicity. Yeah. Where it's like, man, the Bible is complicated sometimes. Yeah. And you take it back to, but this isn't. Like this is mm-hmm. this is something that can like reset, like I was talking earlier. So so I guess that's one way you can look at it. Well, and even even the idea of calling God Father, 
I never thought that was a problem. And then you discover it for a Jew, you could call him Lord, you could call him Yahweh, though they purposely stayed away from using God's proper name because they believed it was too close to be blasphemous. But you never called him Father. And then Jesus says, uh, you can call him Abba, which in Aramaic is saying Daddy. I mean, it's the most intimate expression. And so here we are saying and not realizing how offended or how difficult that would have been for a Jew, a disciple who loved God, who followed the laws of Torah. And now all of a sudden God's saying, oh, Jesus like, by the way, you can call him our father. Yeah, no, I can't. (laughs) Yeah, it's like that fear of being too intimate with something that is so holy, so awesome. Like, you're unworthy of that. Yeah. It's like, no, I understand I'm unworthy of it. And he still loves me. And he encourages it. Like, when I was in high school, uh, we had a guy, a a guest speaker come to our our Bible study on campus. And the guy asked me if I'd pray afterwards. And and again, I told you, I, I prayed. I called God dad. I still call him dad when I pray. And I started off my prayer by calling him daddy. And afterwards, the guy pulled me aside alone and just railed into me. He's like, how dare you call him dad? He is a king. He is sovereign. He is not your dad. And I was like, yes, he is. (laughs) (laughs) But there is, I think sometimes we... I know kids like you. (laughs) Yeah. I think some people think that reverence is, means impersonal. Yeah. And and there is like... And that's the danger of ritual. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I have the opposite. Like, if my kid ever went Jason, I'd be like, oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> like, I could imagine my daughter, Indy, or my son, Eli, going, hey, Jason. I'm like, who are you talking to? Because I'm dad, right? <laughs> and I wonder if sometimes we, we so formalize God that we forget, yes, he is king. And I think there's a balance there. We can either think he's too personal and not sovereign, not holy, or we can elevate him so much that we forget that he wants that relationship, that intimacy, but I think it happens in community. Yeah. There's um, one of the things that we talked about was that becoming part of God's family is that that was Jesus's mission. I mean, that was kind of the saying that I started a couple weeks ago was Jesus didn't come to make us more religious. He came to make us family. Mm-hmm. And sometimes in church, it feels like we tr- it's more about making people better Lutheran yeah. or making them a better Baptist or better theologically or making sure they know the Lord's Prayer. And those are all good things. But is that the intention? Yeah. Or even like belonging to almost like a country club. Like I get the benefits of being a church member at Zion because I get to rent the hub and do all this stuff. Like, you know, there's like this almost country club mentality. But then it's like, well, then you can leave that country club and go find a better one anytime you want to. And that's where entitlement creeps in. Mm -hmm. Well, and the family stuff is like. People leave churches all the time, yep. and sometimes they leave for good reasons. Sometimes they leave for bad reasons. Um, it's hard. Like when somebody's part of your family and they leave, and, and I've, you're talking to somebody who's been at five churches, seven churches total throughout his life. So this isn't me saying you can never leave a church. Mine were almost always for calls, taking positions at new churches, at least the last 20 years. But there's a pain. And s- some people are so quick just to kind of say, well, I'm done because, you know, you you didn't do the thing I liked. And they don't realize, no, you're abandoning family. Uh, on the flip side, we have some people who they'll go to our church one week, another church the next week, and then another church, and they just bounce back and forth. And that'd be like me going, hey, Megan, I'm a part of your family this week, and then I'm a part of this family. No, I just I love to be a part of everybody's family, not realizing that there's actually a hurt, a void that takes place when we're there. Mm-hmm. Do you, um, how do you balance, and uh, maybe you're, I know I'm still wrestling with this, but this idea of doing something for God versus being with God. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay, I think. I think. <laughs> so it's really hard for me, and that's why I make a joke out of it. Like, do do you wear out a do do? I am. It's. I'm so naturally works driven, or like by what I do for God, almost like justifies my salvation. Where it's like, see, I'm worth saving, Jesus. Like, yeah. I see all this stuff that I did for you. You loved me so much that. I can go and love others and see see how humble I am. I think of everyone else. I, I, I. Or it's like I start to feel a lot of that like doing for God isn't really for God. It's for me to feel like I'm deserving of God mm-hmm. or for me to feel like I'm on the same level with God. I am my own God. Look what I've done for me. Yeah. And then being with God, it's it's so hard for me to understand how to be with God where it's like, it's not hard for me to understand that I am below God. When I finally get humbled, man, I get humbled. I am on my face with snot. And I'm like, I am unworthy. We are worms from like Hercules, you know? <laughs> like I, I, that's easy to understand. But like this concept of God with us, yeah. Jesus among us, with us, doing life, belly laughing with his friends and being human. Yeah. That's hard to understand. I can't, that's an awesome aspect of God that it's hard to understand. Yep. And I don't think it's wrong to do things for God. You said it, it just becomes the one personal, it's just me doing something yeah. for one other person, but with includes yeah. others. That's good. Well, and, and even, even that idea of, I struggled for years trying to understand what it meant to be with God, because it's not like God's sitting in the room with me. Like, I know his spirit is. I know the right theological thing, Christianese thing to say. But I see you. I hear your voice. And I would struggle because I'd meet these people who they would talk as if God was this close, intimate friend. And they would talk about hearing God's voice and sensing God's presence. And I'd be like, yeah, I don't, I don't have that. <laughs> and I didn't know how to do that. And, and for a lot of it was because I was taught really a, a bad model of prayer. Mm. And it's one that we're all taught, which was more of, I'm talking at God instead of with God. There's no room for listening. I mean, Derek, you've actually done silent retreats. I know that you've loved every minute of them. Yeah, they're hard. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's that's part of our culture is we don't know how to listen well. And the Spirit does speak, and, and I've worked hard, and I'm getting better at it, but I still struggle with that. What do you, um, when it talks about, then he says, our Father who art in heaven or who is in heaven, I mean, that you have a heavenly father who's perfect, and it's really an invitation to God's character. And when you think about it, and I'd love for, I mean, again, we don't plan any of this, just so you know, we don't have a pre-conversation. In fact, most of the stuff we talk about here, don't talk about it. We don't talk about it sermon read-through. Um, what are some things when you think about the character of God? You know, this is the father. It's an invitation to be reminded of who God is as a father. I know for me, one of the things that has been huge for me throughout my life is he's a rescuer. Like this idea of a God who is willing to clean me up in my mess, that even when I've fallen down and I, even when I'm rejecting him, the minute I lift my hands up, he's there. And that, is, that has always blessed me as he is a father who rescues. And, and I have, I get a soft spot. You ever see, want to see me get emotional anytime there's a movie or a TV show where like a, a dad comes and rescues a kid inside of him. I was like, oh, oh my gosh. Like it's, it's a, and that's for me. But that's one of those ones that really has hit me. There's a character quality in him. He rescues. He's always looking. How about you guys? So one of the things, and Megan and I had a conversation about this one time. She probably doesn't remember it. I think we were in a van with kids probably. 
uh, on a service trip, but we were talking about salvation and like, should salvation be our goal? And, you know, at the time I was like, no, salvation shouldn't be your goal. But like, I've, I've thought about it a lot more since then. And like, what salvation is, is being with God. Like, yeah. why would you not want that? Why That is the, the end goal. And so when I think about God's character, it's, it's a, I, I know I said it earlier, but it's a God that wants to be with us. It's a God that wants to do things with us. And so when I take salvation out of, out of the equation, when we go against the do versus like doing something for God or with God, say do do, I'm not going to say it, <laughs> <laughs> but you are a children's director. <laughs> <laughs> But I think that heart, the heart of it is so important of like, if I'm just doing things because I feel like I need to do them, I, I can tell when I do things just because I'm doing them versus if I'm doing them because of like, of knowing God, because I'm with God, like it's a big difference. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the value I see uh, in this prayer. And that's, that's, that kind of motivates me in that of like, yeah, I want to do stuff with God. I want to be with God. That's why I'm so set on salvation. It's not so I can, I'm in heaven and I'm good. It's no, it's because I want, I have every part of me wants to be with God every second of all the time. Yeah. And that's eternity. I mean, we think the goal is heaven. The goal is the God in heaven. Right. Yep. And that's like, I love that you said that, Derek. And, it, and I didn't even think about that when we were walking through this is, Sometimes we make Christianity so much about being saved from something. I'm not going to hell. Uh, I'm a better life, whatever. But the real goal is about being saved for something, and that's for a relationship. And I think even our pictures of heaven, you know, we don't become little fat babies sitting on clouds playing instruments. That's we don't become angels. I know, I know, Megan, you're shocked. We don't become angels. And eternity also isn't one giant worship service where all we're doing is singing songs for eternity. Like I love music. Don't get me wrong, but that gets boring. The idea is, is that it's heaven is a relationship with God, unhindered, un, unfettered. There's nothing holding us back. There's no grieving the spirit. It is full being with God with no obstacles. And I, I, I wish I could remember who the theologian is, but he said that eternity, we're going to spend eternity exploring the incredibleness of God and his creation. That means all of it, the universe, everything is at our disposal because we're not limited anymore. And it's weird that the Our Father actually reminds us that. I, mean, I know. That's what I was just going to say when you were talking about, like, what's the aspect or the character aspect of God the Father that is your favorite or whatever. And mine's like, he's so all-encompassing. It's that wonder, that awesomeness of, like, we, he's all of us. He's yeah. our Father. All of us, everyone, even Derek over here too. Even like, Derek, am I like That's somehow special. slightly related to Derek? Weird. No, that like that 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 wonder of it is just to be reminded of that and of others and my connection through God that He all encompasses all of us. Well, there's that there's that that phrase that um, we're going to get to heaven and be surprised by who's not there. Mm. And by who is. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think of Redeemer mm. and to know that one day all Christians everywhere will be rejoicing. Who knows? Just enjoying the presence of God together. But it's because we've been redeemed and I no longer have to worry about fighting with my brother sitting next to me. Like we've we've been made perfect. We're whole. Yeah. We get to enjoy God without being a messy human that goes around destroying everything. All yeah. that selfish ambition, yeah, all the like, conceitedness, all that stuff yeah. is gone. We'll be a perfect family. Yeah. That's I, pretty cool. I mean, families aren't perfect now. Is that what you're saying? I wish. <laughs> I want to, I want to kind of end. There's this, um, 
we read in Galatians chapter 5, and it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And some people get messed up, and they don't realize that it's not fruits of the Spirit. It's not like like love is a banana and, <laughs> and joy is an apple. It is the fruit. It bears. This is what bears from the source who is. Uh, and if you're familiar with the text, so we read it on Sunday, but I want to read it again because I, I think it's interesting to talk about. I'm going to start off with verse 19, um, which actually talks about the acts of the flesh. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. And I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I mean, if you just, if you bring those down to the very studs, what he's saying is those are all human desires. They're, they're, they're fleshly desires. They're things that come from, I'm only thinking about me. Mm-hmm. And then he goes on, but the fruit of the Spirit, and it's, again, the Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, three distinct people in one substance, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, meaning the thing that comes from the source that is the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there's no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, there's that family, that's the Our Father. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Um, We look at this, and here what we have is Paul is reminding us, this really points us back to the Lord's Prayer again. Is that it's our Father and everything that we see in that. When I need to pray, you know, how often I come to pray and I don't know what to pray. The Lord's Prayer actually becomes the map. It becomes the guidepost. It's not, it's not meant to be prescriptive. It's meant to be descriptive. It gives me signposts along the way. But here, if I'm struggling with love, I go to the God who is love. And everything else, I mean, you could look at the, the fruit of the Spirit and realize that from each of those, all of those are encompassing of love. Love is the ultimate. That's why God is love. But God is joy. When we talk about this idea of prayer and our Father, what do you think becomes the obstacle? What becomes the roadblock for Christians when it comes to praying? Is it that they maybe don't know what to pray? Is it fear? Is it shame? What do you what do you think drives the reason why some people are, are afraid to pray? Afraid of connecting with God? I know when I first started to try to pray, and I wouldn't like to pray to God the Father because, not because, I have a great dad, um, but I definitely had, like, male trauma in my life, and it was really hard to, like, attach male to God, and also think of, like, God the Father seems so big and scary up there, so it was easier to pray to, like, Jesus. Like, Jesus is safe and cool. He's my guy. Like, he's sitting on the dryer with me while I'm folding laundry. I'm like, hey, Jesus, how are you? And, like, it's a lot easier to picture a God with us in the form of God with us. And so that hang up of just the unknown of, I don't know what to do. I don't know who you really are yet. That was really hard to get past. And that was scary. Like everyone's, you're afraid of the unknown, but you got to just try. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I think that comes into the God is love, the fruit of the spirit. We, it's not just about praying to the Father, and I think that's one of the confusing parts about the Lord's Prayer is it's if we can only pray to the Father. Mm-hmm. No, we can pray to God, and we can pray to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I would agree. I think Hebrews tells us that Jesus specifically came as the, the ambassador 
that that person who is going to mediate between us because the idea of God a Father, it is scary. Yeah. I mean, there's a holiness that comes with that. Jesus came, and I think there's a humanity. How about you guys? What do you, what do you think becomes the obstacle for people in prayer? I mean, here we want the fruit of the Spirit in us. It comes through prayer. It comes through a relationship. Prayer is part of that. What keeps people away? I don't know. If, I don't know if this necessarily keeps people away, but one of the things I think about is I think sometimes we forget to pray with the idea that it's going to be come true or that it's going to be heard. Um, I remember I, I keep using mission trips, but I was on a mission trip one time. I was to Haiti, and I, I don't remember who exactly said it, but we prayed for a miracle. And then one of the leaders stepped out and said, but do you understand what you're saying when you're asking God for a miracle? Like it could be big. It could be crazy. It could be, it could be hard. And I don't think we realize when we pray, sometimes I feel like we just do it out of, out of obedience and not out of like, when it says you're praying to your father, like that's, that's praying to a creator. That's, that's praying to like pray with the intent that it's going to come true and understand what all comes along with it. And so that is a little scary, but it's also pretty awesome that we have that direct line of communication like that. Yeah. Isn't well, that what amen means? Of it like, means let it be. Let it be. Yeah. Like, yes. It's not just a Beatles song. <laughs> I love the Beatles. That's both podcasts now reference a band. Can we keep this that's, going? That's got to be our goal. Well, and, and so even that, that's part of why I wanted to bring us to Galatians, because it says we're supposed to, we want to have that fruit of the Spirit, but that fruit of the Spirit has to come from a relationship with the Spirit. And that relationship with the Spirit isn't just me sitting there, it's prayer. And for me, I think sometimes I know the struggle for me, and this goes back to the poor models that I was giving, I was given, is it's, we're going to sit in a room, we're going to go around in a circle, Megan's going to say what she needs prayer for. You're going to say it, and then everybody's go around as if God didn't hear it the first time. <laughs> like, now we've done the magical incantation of saying our Father or inviting Lord Jesus. And instead, what if God was already present? And what if our talking about it as believers, and we're striving to have that spirit of love, and I mean the Holy Spirit of love residing in us, which leads to joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, all that stuff, Right. I think we, how do we reshape prayer to realize, and I think that's what the Lord prayer does. Instead of teaching you how to pray, here's the right words. It's teaching you the God you're praying to. And I think once you understand the God you're praying to, prayer becomes that much easier. And I think the end of Galatians 2, when it says against such thing as there is no law, where it's like, if you are operating out of love, joy, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, and self-control, I know you feel like you're going to do it wrong, but if you're coming to the source and asking from the source, yeah. you're not breaking any rules. And I see our, I think our two points kind of build off each other. Well, is like, you know, if you have a hurt relationship with a, with a father or a male figure, like this father won't let you down. Yeah. This father will come through. He does deliver. And so when I, when I, when I talk about praying and believing it, it's because we know this father will deliver. And I think that's a, that's a hard thing as, as humans to grasp a God that doesn't fail, a yeah. God that doesn't let you down, that doesn't give up on you. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard thing to realize sometimes. Well, and Kate, you even mentioned this idea of God who is a man or male. Yeah. But that's not what it means when it says he's father because yeah. God is spirit. Jesus came as a male. But when it says God is father, it actually it's referring to the masculine presence, what the father represents. Yeah. And some religions actually mess that up because they actually, well, it says father, so he must be a man up there. No, God doesn't have a gender. Jesus became a gender, and so and now he'll have that physical form in heaven when he took at the right seat 
on the right hand of the Father and is ascended up yeah. into heaven. But the Father is not this old white dude with the white beard. Yeah. And this goes back to actually when Sitting you... Sitting on an anthill with the magnifying glass. Yeah. <laughs> like that's the Father. The idea is, is that a Father was supposed to be protective. That's that's God burning. Yes. <laughs> that's a common Derek. phrase for people outside of the church to refer to God. By the way, and it's because have again, you seen Bruce Almighty? Must yeah, have been, must have been in Veggie Tales. I never watched that. And by the way, in Veggie Tales, I don't. I'd love to actually see a real telling of the David and Goliath story, like where they make like finger foods afterwards. The cucumber gets sliced up. You know, <gasps> <laughs> don't talk. The Veggie Tales you'll never see the, the adult version of Veggie Tales. But I think that's part of the problem. Is even the language of Father for some people immediately makes you think, oh, God's a man. Yeah. No, God created man. Jesus became man. God is eternal in spirit. And the idea is, what is a father supposed to do? A father protects, a, a father shepherds, a father provides. And that's everything the Lord's prayer kind of brings us back to. But it's hard not to see that through the lens of the era, like the fathers that you know or the words yeah. that you know. And so it's hard not to see that through that lens. Even if you had a good father, uh, it's still it's still hard well, and that's because we have to have something tangible. I mean, even the idea, think about how many paintings, how do they depict God? He's, just, he's an old guy with the yeah. white beard. That's how you know who God is. He's got the robe and the white beard. He's like Father Time. Well, now if you go, like, <laughs> you know, there's the Morgan Freeman God, too. So you got to, like, Which, up, you got to get woke. I actually hope that when I get up to heaven, I would love it if it was, like, Morgan Freeman's voice <laughs> just coming out. and like, <gasps> We got something right. <laughs> It's not just Michelangelo's interpretation anymore. No. Well, and I want to I kind of end with this. And, and I hope that you found this podcast. You're finding this helpful. And again, the goal is to actually have the conversations. And, and if there are parts of this that you found helpful, we'd love to hear your feedback. Comment online. Share it with friends. Um, we just so appreciate anybody who's listening. It means a lot to us. And we're going to hopefully get better at this. Um, I was going to say one last thing. You know, part of what uh, has been helpful when we do our sermon read-throughs is getting different perspectives. And one of the things I would love to find um, some people of color to have my black brothers and sisters or people who come from different ethnicities to hear their responses and thoughts because we all bring, our experiences are different, but we're all trying to aim for the same thing, which is to know and love Jesus more. And even when we read scripture or we tell stories, we tell them with different frameworks in mind. And so hopefully that's, that's one of the things that I would love to see is I'd love to see other voices coming as part of this, even if they're not part of the read-through, just to hear other perspectives from people from different cultures. Um, so again, thank you so much for being here. Uh, crew, great to be here with you. And uh, thank you for tuning in. Hope you have an amazing rest of your week. And hopefully we'll see you on Sunday or online or next time you listen to the Breakthrough Breakdown. There you go. You're welcome, John Quigley. John Quigley is our producer. <laughs> have a great day, everybody. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to the Breakthrough Breakdown, a Zion podcast. Make sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple Music, and check out the Zion app. Share this episode with your friends so they can tune in as well. We'll be back next Wednesday with another installment of the Breakthrough Breakdown. And now a bonus clip for your enjoyment. Okay, so what's the question again? What is prayer? Okay, so first of all, prayer is not unique to Christianity or Judaism. Correct. And so, therefore, the, the notion of prayer, much like meditation or fasting, is a spiritual activity. But here's the thing. Even demons are spiritual. And so we have to, be, we have to make sure that we're not confusing that because something is a spiritual activity, it's going to the right spirit. Mm -hmm. And we're talking God is spirit. So I would argue that 
prayer is intentionally trying to get the attention um, with the with the desire of a benefit or a relationship with that thing. Mm-hmm. So I, when I don't I don't pray to demons, I speak authority over demons. Mm-hmm. But if I'm asking the demon to bless me or to give me something, now I'm praying to that demon. Witchcraft. Witchcraft. That's right. <laughs> Same thing. Well, and if you look at the gods of the ancient world, they would pray and their prayers were trying to get the attention to benefit them or to get that God to respond to a request. So prayer is usually a response. However, in the Christian understanding of prayer, we now have the, the what we're trying to get is relationship. And so I would, I would make the case that biblically prayer, when Paul says to pray without ceasing, the idea is actually to have an awareness, one ear to heaven one ear to the world, um, always looking for opportunities to listen to what, what the Lord wants to do. It doesn't mean every second I'm saying words. Why well, it says pray continuously. Yeah. Without ceasing continuously, all different translations. Yeah. And so did, did that kind of answer the question? Yep. So any other thoughts or comments on that? So like you had made a comment last week when we were talking about kind of the concept of like spiritual grazing, like I, I pray when I'm fishing and when I'm driving, when yeah. I'm doing this, this like spiritual grazing where it starts to become really informal. I'm sorry. I got really distracted. Pastor Derek was cutting the cord of his microphone with his fingers like a child. And then it was really funny. <laughs> <laughs> but this like spiritual grazing where it becomes like really informal. And it's like, well, does that still count as prayer when it's just like me continuously having a conversation? And that's what I think of when it's like pray without ceasing, pray without um pray continuously like yes having my eyes always fixed on jesus always having that idea of like where heaven is in relation where i am in relation to heaven but also of this like constant communication well i i think it's more of instead of always talking it's an awareness so for instance um i'm always listening for my kids if my kids walked in the room i hear them my oh that's my kids i'm not always listening to hear what they say but i'm listening for when they're speaking my brain has been trained that way my wife, my friends, I've learned to hear them. And so I think part of what that comes down to is this idea of are we living our life in such a way that when God's trying to get our attention that we're actually, we're present enough to hear it. Do you know the shepherd's voice? That's right. And the sheep know the shepherd's voice. They learn that's actually how they would know which shepherd to go to is the shepherd would call and they would go, oh, that's my shepherd's voice. And they, the sheep would go to their different shepherds. Well, if your shepherd isn't Jesus... If, you, if your shepherd is a false god, and there are false gods, Islam, um, Muslim, uh, Hinduism, Buddhism, these are all things that are not equate to the God of the Bible. You have um, things that say they're Christian and aren't. And I'm not talking Baptist or non-denominational. I'm talking to ones that say, hey, yeah, we believe Jesus was a person who became God or was the half-brother of Satan. I mean, you have all those. Those don't line with that. They're still praying. And here's the thing. This is why when even when it talks about the father part, uh, and I use this when talking about how do you know that who the Jesus is you're actually talking to, well, the only way that we know who Jesus is is by his character. Same thing with the father. We don't actually know what the father looks like because he's spirit. We don't even know what Jesus looks like or the spirit, but we do know the character of those things. And so, for instance, our culture, we put value on how people look. So if I'm going to describe Derek, I'm going to say he's six foot two, Handsome. Handsome, a beard. Um, you know, that's that's what we tend to describe. But now if I said, you know, oh, you know, Derek, yeah, that, that guy who's super quiet, never talks, uh, really mean, never shares his opinions. Everybody like, yeah, that's not Derek Crawford. That's not the Derek we know, right? Because now we're thinking character. 
Yeah. And that's why it's so important when we talk about our father is how do you want to know what God you're talking to? Well, does it line up with the character of God? Yeah. Or who's talking to you. That's right. Vice versa, being able to test it against God's character and the truth that we know and see in the Bible. And that's why we're called the test of spirits. So if somebody comes up and and think about all the lies that we believed when we were teenagers and 20-somethings and 30-somethings and (laughs) 40-somethings. Today. Yeah. How do we know if it's God? Well, if that voice doesn't match the character of God, that's not God. But we so often just think God is this nebulous thing, whatever. If I have a feeling, that must be God. No, my feelings are really deceitful. And so I have to know the character of God to test it and say, is that actually God speaking to me? Is that myself? Is that a a demon? Is that a lie? Is that an old tape from somebody else? But if we don't have the character, then we lose all that. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. So that's my answer. That's my teaching answer to prayer. I have another question off. Off the charts. Okay. If you were a shepherd, what would your call be? <gasps> what's up? <laughs> it would be. It would be. I would totally, what's up? And all my sheep would come running to me and they'd be like, what's up? It'd be amazing. Okay. I used to be able to do that, but as I got older, I don't know if your my hands, hands are. hands got too fat. I was going to say, oh, my hands are fat or what? I can't do that I anymore. I have tiny little female hands. Good for shepherd. What would be your shepherd call? I don't know. Breaker, breaker, one nine. Like, no, like a Highlander have call. You, have you seen those like Swedish um, sheep singers where they like. Yes. They sing the they shepherd go, song? Like the, like, um, I don't want to do it, but oh, like do into it. the unknown it. where it's like. Yeah. No. Do it. Come on. They're like super high. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Every Wednesday I call the entire youth program into the black box by yelling a phrase. Avengers Assemble? No, but I, I can't I'll blow out the microphones, but say it I basically say let's go, but I do it like let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Like loud. So that would be and your shepherd's call building. And they just it's like, literally your shepherd's call. Like they just go. They know exactly where to go. I really I, thought it was going to be Avengers Assemble. I really or Autobot, or Autobots roll out. I've, Auto, done it, I've done it literally. I'm changing mine. Okay, mine is no longer what's up. It's Autobots roll out. That's that's yeah. my new. That's my new You're shepherd's welcome. call. Yeah, there we go. Oh. We out. I think it'd be fun to have a little bonus material. That was fun. Yeah. yeah.